Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive. So get involved. Get involved. So we are super excited to introduce our guest tonight, Red Roberts from Green and Gold Rugby fame. How are you? I'm great, mate. Um, uh, pumped. Rugby season's midway through. New competition started and I'm on your, on your podcast. What better way, to, or better way is it to be? <laughs> Mate, we're the ones that are meant to be excited for you to be here, not the other way around. So that's very kind of you. Uh, were you able to catch all the matches across the weekend? There's so many more games on yeah. offer for us now. <laughs> no, was, we were a bit spoilt for choice this weekend, weren't we? Mate, I obviously watched the Reds. I watched the, uh, what was next after that? The Was it the Brumbies? Brumbies, Brumbies I watched yeah, that. Brumbies. Then I watched the Waratahs and the Canes. And then I watched the 20-minute snapshot of the two other games. Obviously, there's a bit of issue with the force game anyway but yeah. caught the other two games the next day <laughs> so uh as watched as much as i could absolutely and how good was it hey, that's so a much rugby uh, in one weekend yeah it's amazing isn't it i mean yeah i get the little i don't know if everyone gets this but get the little stan email about what you can watch this weekend and the email is just getting longer and longer and longer <laughs> with you know the trans tasman and the, the rainbow cup and the club rugby and and the you know the japanese league and all that sort of stuff and i even snuck in a bit of the a on uni sevens that um, Rugby Australia is live streamed, which I always enjoy. So it's uh, so, and, and I've got a couple of boys who play the game as well. So there's always a fair bit of rugby going on. Fantastic. How, how good. Well, Mitch, why don't you jump into your rugby related question that you have for Reg? Yes. So a question for you, bit of a head scratcher. If you could go back and change the result of any game, be it Super Rugby or Wallabies, which game would it be and why? Wow. Wow. Good question. All right. Well, my mind immediately goes back to this one, and I won't say it is the ultimate, but I think I think it's a pretty damn good one. I think it's probably the the, the result of the two thousand and three Rugby World Cup Grand Final. Um, yeah, yep. that was an amazing tournament, just from a tournament perspective. Um, the the engagement with the fans, the the profile it gave rugby, um, and I don't know if you guys remember how long you've been, you know, following the game, but the Wallabies weren't that crash hot early on. And, and even in the quarterfinal, I think we played Scotland, was the first time we started to get our act together. We had a, we had a couple of big wins over Romania and Namibia. Um, but it was really that semi-final versus New Zealand that caught everyone's attention. And all of a sudden, we were playing England. And what a game that was. But if, you know, Johnny Wilkinson's field goal didn't go <laughs> over and, uh, and Elton got one himself to, to win that game. Um, with that audience we had, I mean, the game was at its height anyway, but if we had come away world champions at home, um, I think that would have been quite significant. In saying that, we may well have blown the $50 million we made anyway, but uh, <laughs> I think that was a, a pretty epic occasion to, to, to score the world championship. And doesn't that that point in time seems like a real sort of sliding doors moment for rugby in Australia? Uh, if we had gone on to win the World Cup, who knows where we might be sitting now as rugby fans. We might have regained some of the uh, the limelight that we lost to the other sports that we're currently sitting behind, so AFL and NRL and soccer. But yeah, there's a lot of things in the, in the media now around what's happened since that World Cup and sort of highlighting the demise of Australian rugby since that point. So it's quite pivotal, pivotal that you chose that one, Reg. Yeah, it's it's a significant match. I mean, that whole 
you know, 2001 to 2003 was the handover McQueen and sorry McQueen and Eels and Timmy Horan to uh, you know Eddie Jones and a few other new faces there, sort of Gregan as a leader and so on. But and that was a monumental occasion. But it was definitely a turning point. Things happened after that. Even sorry, you know, probably the other big player was the handover of John O'Neill as CEO <laughs> to to Gary Flowers and and what happened there. Um, but uh, it's when we really started following leagueies, you know, Wendell and Lottie both in that game. Right. <laughs> maybe that was a bit of a decline for us as well. You know, that's when <laughs> the development pathway should have been should have been chased and set up properly. But anyway, yeah, turning turning point. But it would have needed more than just a result to, yeah. to change the game in Australia. For sure. Well, Mitch, why don't you take us through our social platforms and then we'll start cracking on with a few things for tonight. All right, so give us a like and a follow on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page, and we're on Twitter at at pick underscore drive rugby. Wonderful. So as usual, we have our Super Brew tipping competition. The yellow cap for this week is Bookie Dave. Well done. Closely followed by Wickerbox. Both received 8.5, but for some reason, Bookie gets a yellow cap. Uh, I just want to quickly point this fact out, though. We normally don't talk about who the wooden spoon is. Uh, it's Mushroom Sauce on 1.5. Closely followed by, Ooh. who is it on two points? Mitch. Mitch, <laughs> talk us through your immense failure of last weekend. Of last week. I was really hoping you weren't going to bring that up, Ando, but uh, I, yeah, I only got two, two games right out of this round, so... I think I went a little bit too Australian happy, too heavy thinking for the upset this round. And hopefully that'll change this week. We'll see. I'm pretty much average on 4.5. I would just like to point out for anybody that cares that Mitch is currently getting absolutely smashed by his mum, who's on 7.75. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Is she a New Zealander? Well done, Robski. Well done. <laughs> No, she knows, she's a realist, I think. She just listens, um, she listens to what I say and does her tips accordingly. Um, she goes with her head, I go with my heart. We'll say that. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yep. All right, well, tonight we're going to do a quick, well, chat about the Red Super Rugby campaign because we've got Red Roberts on and what more would he be here to do than talk about all things Queensland rugby? We're then going to follow that up with a review of the round one of Trans-Tasman before we go to the locker room, then a preview of round two. So why don't we just jump straight into things? And Reg, we were chatting before the pod that we really should have got you on last week instead <laughs> of this week. Now, it's been a bit of an up and down time for you. We're not going to get into the result on the weekend just yet, but we want to go through the actual Super Rugby campaign for Super Rugby AU 20. 21 um what do you as a diehard reds fan if you could say what the six the reasons for the success of the reds are what would they be yeah it, it's fascinating isn't it it's um there's a lot to it and there's a couple of key moments that stand out for me and and one that uh, one that happened what five years ago and one that just happened a couple of weeks ago so uh, I remember the there was an under 20s or maybe it was even an under 19s uh, national championship. So all the state sides had their own under 19 teams and Queensland went through that pretty undefeated. And the coach of that team, I actually think it was Jason Gilmore, who's now at the Tars, but the assistant coach was Brad Thorne. Mm. But if you look back at that team that day, and particularly the Ford pack, it was basically um, Taniella Tupo, Alex Murphy, Angus Scott Young, Luke Ansolico, Loto, Liam Wright, um, and a couple of other guys I can't remember, but it was effectively this team. I think James Tuttle was there out wide and Campbell Bagnay and a few of those guys who've gone elsewhere. But 
it, it all started building with that tide, and that, a lot of that side then went on to play uh, NRC for Queensland Country. And when Brad Thorne got that head coach role, he he picked, he bossed his way around QIU and picked a lot of those same guys in that that same New South Wales Country team. Had Tenella Tupo, Alex Murphy. Um, uh, Liam Wright, Angus Scott Young, these guys all in that team. James Tuttle, uh, later on, Hamish Stewart. And he, I don't know if he had a vision back then, but he started building combinations. And and that's, you know, you've, I'm sure you've heard of Ben Darwin, the cohesion factor, and that's a lot of the success of the Crusaders. They've always yep, had this yep. system they back. And that's Brad Thorne, obviously, coming out of the Crusaders and the Broncos have got a similar system, or used to at least, um, is, is, is what he's trying to create the Reds. And the other thing that happened a week or so ago is is an interview I heard with Brad Thorne. And I'll be honest with you, when, when Thorne was appointed, I had massive doubts and I, I just didn't see what it was going to get us. I mean, he hadn't had any coaching experience. We'd, we'd been through that before in the history of Queensland Reds with um, a certain coaching appointments and so on. And I, I, I was concerned, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers at the Reds at, at, at that sort of stage. Um, and even, you know, he'd talk to the media those early days and I couldn't listen. He was, you know, he's, he's a mumbler and all this sort of stuff and he didn't sound like he had much of a plan. But, mate, over the last year, whether he's developed or whether I've just grown to love the guy, <laughs> he's fascinating. And, and he gave an interview the other day and I think he was asked this pretty much exact same question. And he said it's love, mate. He, he loves the guys and he just he's trying to create this environment. And I think you can see that with the guys. I think they genuinely care for each other and mm. they're, they're good mates. And, and yeah. that might be overstating things. But if you put down the fact that there's this cohesion factor that these guys have come through the system, they've played together for multiple years, but they're also in a, an environment where they actually do stick, stick, stick up for each other and, and, um, and, and, and love each other, care for each other without, you know, trying to make it sound soppy, but legit, these guys are, uh, you know, they're great mates and you see the relationships they have. I think that's the type of stuff that translates to success on the field. Mm. And and particularly when you can have that sort of relationship with a coach as well, um, someone who they respect ultimately, but they also know is has their, their best at heart. And I think in an environment when Australian rugby lose players, we can't afford to keep stars. You know, they're going overseas. You've got to create something different at your club. And that's what Queensland Rugby are doing. The Brumbies have always had this, you know, secret success since 96 and it's still there now. Um, the Reds have had to recreate it and, and that's what Thorne's doing. And I think hopefully it remains for a while and, and it can be carried on as a legacy for the organisation that they get things right from top to bottom and, and what Brad's done continues on. In a re- recent episode from Matt from Gold Digger Rugby, he goes through some of the historic reasons for or the reasons for historic success of the Brumbies and the Reds. And a big part of that was the um, ways in which they'd used feeder clubs to help narrow the yep. talent and have them have a lot of experience prior to being exposed to super rugby. And what you were just speaking about there, the kind of combination of these guys having played together for a long time, but also this culture, this love, this emotional connection, whatever you'll call it, really is influenced at least in the Queensland Reds uh, example here for the NRC and the opportunities that that's provided. Mm. Um, how mm. much do you think the loss of the NRC is going to impact Australian rugby moving forward for the next couple of years? And do, do you, are you of the opinion that it's something that simply has to come back? Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I am. And I, I, I was 
an early adopter, if you say, of the NRC. I, I loved the original, the ARC, back in, was it 2007? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we saw some great players come through that. That was where Kurtley Beale, as a teenager, was player of the tournament. I think he won a car, couldn't even drive at the time, and Benny <laughs> Alexander and all these sorts of guys. Um, but the NRC was fantastic, and it did produce guys. It, it was the perfect, you know, you look at Tanya Olatupo, who I'm sure we'll talk about multiple times, and I might be talking about him very soon with one of your soon questions, but he had the perfect, like how he was recruited was bizarre. Let's, let's put it out there just via YouTube with a little bit of due diligence. We got him, but then to have a season as a, as you know, fresh out of school as a, in club footy, which is great scrummed against men and stood out again was, was excellent. But then to play NRC to slowly get introduced to NRC playing with professionals, playing against professionals, professional coaching, while the whole structure of the tournament obviously isn't professional, for him it was the perfect influence to to, to where he is now. Um, and I just think that's a crucial thing. Maybe the model's a little bit different. And I, you know, I know, again, um, uh, uh, the uh, Betty Darwin, sorry, thinks it's it may be to keep the cohesion factor. It's a, it's a, the five same teams that play Super Rugby AU play again just without their Wallabies and you just bring the new guys into the system. I get that. But there's no doubt that the NRC was a great success from the Reds' perspective, what we created. Um, and I think who was the one state that that didn't sort of buy into it? Um, and look at how they're travelling now. <laughs> yep, I mean, that, that might be, yeah, exactly, coincidence or causation, I don't know. But it's it's pretty obvious um, that there's some some lackings there and and um, and, and, and that's, a, that's an easy sort of part of the way solution to it. Well, I think you've already answered this next question or you've given us a little bit of a preview of it. But if you were to name one player as the most influential in 2021 for the Reds' successful campaign, who would it be and why? Yeah, look, and I obviously thought the obvious ones. Hunter Pasami's been amazing, but we've had to win without him. James O'Connor, likewise, another like the Thorn appointment. I wrote off O'Connor. I didn't want him signed. God knows I didn't want him as captain. But hasn't he proved me wrong? He's been fantastic, and particularly as a captain. But it's Tupo for me. I, I, I think we could just take him for yes. granted sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I yep. think, I think we are still in awe of him, but I don't think we appreciate how good he is. This guy is a freak of nature, and and as a modern day, there's only a few people I've seen that have blown me away on the field. As it, you know, plenty of brilliant players, your Horans, are Campeses, but as individuals, John Eels, one, he did things like didn't fathom people of his size being able to do. George Smith took the number seven position to, a, to another level and the skills he had were amazing. And Tupo, mate, the, the size and physicality of this guy, the skill, the speed, he's amazing. So, and he does it in the scrums. And I know he's copping flack for you know, how he packs and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but he's, that's, that's what our props do. That's what we want him to do. He dominates in the scrum. And then that grand final was, was the perfect example. How many... Hit ups that he taken that last, you know, couple of minutes after after full time, and hit ups of influence too. You know, it wasn't as if he was yep. just taking it up and getting hit back. He was making, you know, meters every time. I, I just think he's a a freak, and he's what he's got seventy odd Reds caps, and he's still only I don't know twenty three, twenty four. Yeah, he's an amazing player, and and he and he showed it again this year. I think he's fantastic, and I, I might say I have to say Fraser McRod as well. I, I love the man, but Tupo was <laughs> as an influence was just beyond everyone. Yeah, look, I'll be honest and say I, I rate Fraser McWright, but I'm just not sure how 
much the sun does shine out of his very <laughs> varied orify. Um, like he, he's good, but at the same time, I see people like Taniel Tupo, and I just think he has a much greater influence over the games yeah. um, than Fraser McWright. I'm, I'm, although I'm very keen to see McWright's develop continued continued development. Now, part of the reason why I brought you on, Reg, is because I mean, you may have noticed from what I'm wearing and uh, Mitch being based in Sydney as well. We are we are Tars fans, and life's been really hard recently. I'm not sure if you've noticed. I'm not sure if you've heard some of the stuff, but Life at the New South Wales Waratahs just hasn't been particularly good. Now, you have been a long-suffering Reds fan, and we just need to know, we need to learn, we need to get some advice. How have you or how did you stick with the Reds considering their pretty dismal form slump before 2020? How did you keep that fire and that passion burning for your beloved Queensland Reds? I like this question when you sort of suggested it by saying, yeah, how do you survive the slump of 2016 to 2019? <laughs> Mate, that was dream compared to 2007, the, the year that Eddie Jones took over as cat coach and we ended up the season losing by 90 points to the Bulls in Pretoria. This, this, was, a, this was a dream. That was the tough time. Um, I don't know, mate. It, it is hard. I guess you do. You know, it's. I'm a Queenslander. Who else am I going to support? Same <laughs> with you guys. I mean, it's you're stuck with it, sort of thing. And that's that's part of the love. That's part of you know. That's why franchises I can't buy into. It's easy to flick off the Broncos or the Swans, whoever, because they're they're not necessarily representing your state. And I know it's professional agents on, but this is the Queensland Reds, and that's the New South Wales Waratahs. It's you'll always support them, obviously. Um. You know, you find your ways. You, it, it makes those wins. And, you know, the Kane, and again, we'll talk about this weekend soon, but, you know, 40 odd points against the Canes. Let's put aside the 60 points you let in. But there's, <laughs> there's, you know, you find those little things just to keep the joy. And, 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 you know, 2016, 19, it's the young players that come through. I love the young player that comes through and steps up. So the, you know, the Carla Tizanos and the Ben Donaldsons and all those sorts of guys and the, you know, the, the couple of locks you've got coming through. Um, the system there. There's Angus Bell. You know, there is stuff to to give you hope, and that's that's all that gets you past, mate. Gets you by. It's the hope, and and, and maybe it is. <laughs> looking, looking at the fact that the Reds have done what you've done is enough to give you some hope, because um, you know, if we could turn it around, God knows the Waratahs can. Well, that's, I guess, the exact lead into the next question, isn't it? Because we're going to talk about, well, the Reds have had a really clear blueprint that you kind of outlined earlier when talking about the what led to their success this year. And that was that idea of having a core group of players, building them over time, having trust and uh, backing them to improve with the same coach. And if you were to go back to the start of the 2021 season, you could very, very easily have claimed that the Tars were on that way with Rob Penny. Here you had a coach that was working really well with the younger players that had this core group of quality, talented, young, but inexperienced players. And then the Tars go and sack him halfway through the season. Like, my, I guess my question is here. Should other clubs be following a bit of a Reds-ish blueprint on how to be improving, to, to pick and stick with a team, to back the youngsters over a longer period of time? Or is that group that have come through from Queensland Reds almost unique in how together they've been across their rugby careers so far? Yeah, look, I, I think the Waratahs, at the very least, should be copying what the Reds have done because they have the talent there. I mean, the young guys you guys have got coming through in Horton and and Bell and and uh, Williams and and Tizano, while you stole them from the force, um, 
and <laughs> you know, and 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 Donaldson and Harrison, Harrison, who I rate highly, and Walton. These are great players. These will, you know, this can deliver you a great team. So you, you've got the players that we have. We've got, you know, that famous Aussie 20s team from a couple of years ago that we've relied on so heavily with Wilson and McWright and all this sort of stuff. You've got just as much depth there as, as anyone in that sort of stuff. Enough, enough Waratahs players there as well. So it's just creating that structures around there. And, you know, when, again, I was thinking about how I answer this, it's like I was, the easy answer is a coach, but it's not. Yeah, because you had Penny and I think he's good. It's, it's the structures and belief around him. So, mm-hmm. you know, the QRU really invested in Thorne. You know, Dave had him the CEO um, and the board, Jeff Miller is the chairman. They all bought into Thorne, you know? So they were prepared to give him time and, and and they gave him the support. They gave him training and all that sort of stuff. And and I guess the difference is, is when Thorne's setting the culture of the Reds, you can believe it. I mean, one, he's got an aura around him, doesn't he? Or the mana has the, the Kiwis have because he's achieved, you know, he's won everything. But also when he talks about, doing it for Queensland as a Queensland former Queensland state of origin player, you buy into it. It's easy for a, you know, a young up and comer to, to buy into that and, and start believing. And, you know, the Reds to Regions is a great example of that. For the Waratahs, they've got to find that person who can do it. And I'm not saying the passion, you know, it's all about New South Wales, but they've got to find someone who can create that vision and that culture for the organisation that Thorne has done for the Waratahs so that those young players can feel, you know, confident and, and, and come through the system with belief because you'll keep developing them. There's no doubt. The Waratahs have got to double down on their own system. And, and that's great that they'll, you know, bring likes the Ned Hannigans back and so on, but it's got to be, you know, back in New South Wales. And, and and that's all you hear about New South Wales is how disparate the organisations are and, the you know, they've had issues across the pack and Tim Rapp leaving was because there was ructions with the coach and so on. And it, it's hard, but they've got to have that strong buy-in from, from the top, so the chair and the CEO to the coach to the squad, you know, that core leadership group. And that's, you know, that's that's a hard thing just to put in place. But it's about getting the right people, and Penny might be might have been that wrong person, but unfortunately, he just didn't have the support of support around him. Who is that right person? Is it another Michael Checker? Is it um, you know bringing Darren Coleman back? I don't know, but it's more than just a simple coach appointment. It's got to be some support for him as well, because there's no doubt you got the squad. Is it the blueprint for other clubs, mate? The Rebels are my question, mate. Credit to the force, mate. The, the, those guys have have done a great job, haven't they? How they've developed this year. They, they've had yeah, to rely. Yeah rely on international signings and so on but they've done some really smart ones the Rob Carneys you get the impression that he's had a great mentoring approach from that team as of the Kahui's and the Thrushes the Rebels are a basket case and again we'll talk about them soon and and you talk they're the opposite of cohesion and it's unfortunate because again Benny Darwin lives in Melbourne so he's you know he's <laughs> been involved in the past with them I, I, don't, I, I don't know if he's involved in the morning I, I, at the moment I'd say he's not but their squad must rotate 50% every year and in key positions and you can't build anything on that. And it's, 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 I don't know their solution, mate. They, you know, they've got plenty of good players out there. You know, you'd love to see them do a similar thing, but how, you know, they just go through the players and rotate and rotate and they just can't build any sort of cohesion. And I just think that's a big factor. But yeah, I, I can see the New South Wales bouncing back pretty quickly, particularly because Rugby Australia won't let them die for too long with her on the vine. They'll, they'll get some further support somehow. 
<laughs> yeah, I think you answered this question as you in that last little bit there, but you spoke previously around the NRC and the pathway system being so critical for the Reds' success that they had this team essentially coming through and playing together a lot of rugby. If we don't have the NRC in place moving forward, how does a team like the Rebels actually build that cohesion? One of the big problems that they have at the moment is the players that aren't selected in the 23 don't go and play club rugby in Victoria. They come up and play Shoot Shield. So how are they going to get any sort of game time or growth or cohesion, as you said, if we don't have some form of junior club system underneath Super Rugby? Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and even worse, there's a bunch of them coming up into Brisbane. So they're different comps. They're all over the place, different different styles. But they can't, the short answer. The only other option is tours. And how expensive is that? So the Rebels have got a Victoria Rugby have got to, you know, take them to Argentina. You know, take that second tiers, not the Wallabies. So the, you know, the Kemenes and all those sorts of guys. Carter Gordon finally gets some game time playing with, you know, a, a Tuttle or a Theo Strang or someone like that. Magne gets some time on the field and they, they go play, the, you know, South America, go play in Uruguay or go to Spain or so on. That's the only way they can do it because mm. you're right, the NRC. But that is expensive. They can't do that every year and rugby's struggling for money at the moment, whereas the NRC, you know, it was great rugby. I know the fans didn't buy in, but in the end, it's like the Sheffield Shield, isn't it? No one goes to Sheffield Shield, but geez, it produces some good cricketers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a really good point, actually. And that's that's the thing that I think Rugby Australia is just going to have to do. It's going to have to bite the bullet once, hopefully, things have settled down after the crap show that's been the last 18 months and just say we have to have this if we actually are serious about improving as a rugby nation we have to have that middle tier because it just doesn't exist and yet you look at every other successful nation and they either have a heap load more money than we do heaps more participants than we do or they have that extra tier yeah, and that's the thing that really builds them into it. I think what we might do is let's just have a quick pause. Chatting about the Reds has been fun, but let's get into some <laughs> Trans-Tasman in a moment. So let's get into that in just one second. Well, the first round of Trans-Tasman Tras- 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 <laughs> was probably not the results that Australian rugby wanted. Uh, the bookies had us at 5-0 and turns out they were right unfortunately. So Mitch, why don't you run us through the scores for each of the games and then we'll dive into some of the questions we have about the weekend's matches. All right. So the first game saw the Highlanders beating the Reds 40 to 19. Uh, Second game of the round, the Hurricanes got it over the Waratahs 64 to 48. Uh, Then Brumbies narrowly lost to the Crusaders in Christchurch 31-29. Then the Rebels got absolutely pummeled by the Blues down in Melbourne uh, 50-3. And then the Force, similar to the Brumbies, just couldn't get it done 2019 to the Chiefs. Wonderful. So there were two games there that were decided by two points or less. It was really close. But Reg, we got to start with you, mate. How's your heart after the elation of last week, the deflation of Friday night? Were you expecting that result or performance from the Reds or were you really, really disappointed with what they put out there on a park? Mate, I'd just like to spend a, the rest of the podcast talking about the elation of last week, if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, look, the, look, I, um, <laughs> the, look, was I expecting the result? Um, I was hopeful of a win. Uh, I thought it would be a big ask, particularly given the team uh, we selected. Was I expecting the performance? No, it was pretty disappointing. Um, but again, a little bit of go back to the team. And I don't want to make any excuses here because that was a, a big loss 
and not acceptable and, and not what this Reds team deserves to deserves to put on the field in a tough situation. Like we said, I think they're still heavily out in the drink until Tuesday. I think Wednesday was their <laughs> first training session and they flew out pretty soon after and, and um, had maybe one team run uh, in, uh, in New Zealand. But uh, yeah, I, I was disappointed. The way it ran away, I mean, defence has been something we've built our game on um, and that just wasn't up to scratch. Um, you know, credit to the Highlanders and all the New Zealand teams, and it's a great lesson for us in terms of what we have to do and in in, in to to sort of match it with them. But yeah, I, I was disappointed. But again, I guess it wasn't surprising the result given the changes we've made and the week we've had. But it was I was, I was pretty disappointed by it. I, I don't like like seeing that team lose by that much. And it really asks questions. Yeah, I mean, when draw. we look through just a couple of the, you go, Ada, you go, you go. All right. When you look through the um, st- main stats from the game, you, you look at the Reds. They had 57% possession, 52% territory, uh, and had basically equal run meters, though, with the Highlanders. And then the, and the, the scrums and the lineouts, 100%, 94%. Like, that's all good. But then you see the two areas, for my mind, where they... They just hugely were let down is the tackle for completion was at 80%, which is horrible for professional rugby. But then you also see the um, defenders beaten. The Highlanders had 26 defenders beaten to the Reds 13 with significantly less possession. And all that says to me is that the Reds weren't able to do the basics well in terms of making their tackles. And that's just they didn't have their heads right. I mean, we see them, we've seen them be a quality defensive team throughout the whole competition. And then this type of performance comes up. So, Mitch, I think that actually ties into what you were about to say in terms of the scheduling. Yeah, I was just about to say it asks questions of the draw, doesn't it? I think we were wondering going into this round whether we would see some sort of hangover from the teams that played in the final last weekend. And for a team to back up after a final six days later, it is a big ask, particularly when you've got international travel involved. Now, the team that the Reds selected probably was, it it definitely wasn't their best 15. It wasn't the 15 that started the final last week. Uh, There was a number of big, important players that were missing. James O'Connor going off at halftime as well didn't help. But if we try to take that away, do next year, do we look at having, I guess, a buy round for the teams that played the final the week before? Do we just shift the competition back a week so everyone's playing on equal footing? It, it, it's a question that is quite valid at the moment, particularly for Queensland Red fans. Reg. Yeah, a good question. I think the simplest one is just to push it back a week. Obviously, you want to book the venues and all that sort of stuff. You don't know who's going to be in the finals, so yeah. you can't sort of do that first round by. Yeah. I think it's. I don't think anyone sort of really anticipated maybe the success of Super Rugby AU and how much it would mean to people. You know, and particularly that red side. You know, that was that was a breakthrough for us. And, you know, you can say it was only AU, but there was, what, 42,000 people there and a fair number on TV who, who loved the result and, and got a lot out of it. So that shows it meant a lot. So that that's maybe a good lesson for the organisers next year to back the competition. I know there's still talk about the structure, but that, that extra week for everyone in between, um, I think would be worthwhile. So moving forward to next week, there are some pretty big changes which could be made. Uh, one of my questions is, do the red stick with Stewart and Fluke at 12 or 13, considering that they do have some key injuries in their midfield. I mean, Josh Fluke, in my mind, 
He, um, I think that he's going to be a quality player moving forward. But when you have a slightly smaller 10 and 12 inside you, I don't think whether you can carry Fluke at outside too. He missed three of his eight tackles on the weekend. So that's uh, really, really not good quality, particularly considering impact that Paisami has in defence in that position. So uh, what do you think, Reg, are the changes that need to be made for the Reds for this coming weekend? Look, look, so much depends on injuries. Uh, You're exactly right about the centres. I think that was a real challenge for us. Um, I'm a big Hamish Stewart fan and and, and I've got a lot of time for Josh Fluke, who's just new to to this level. Um, But as a combination... Particularly versus the Kiwis team, they don't offer enough. They're sort of a little bit too lightweight for what we need from um, our centres. But what do we have? We don't have alternatives with Pattaya gone for the season. Pasami was meant to be out for four weeks, and that is basically coming up to this weekend. So I guess he's a chance, and he's critical. The question becomes, who does he come in for? Um, Now, Stewart's a tackle demon, uh, and, and I don't... I don't know which stats you go by, but you might verify. I don't think he missed a tackle. He made Correct, a lot of yep. mistakes, so gave away a few penalties and, and you know, didn't look outside them. There's a couple of opportunities in that first half where he could have passed and there are some opportunities out wide and it's not the first time he's done that this season, which is frustrating and surprising for someone who's played a fair bit of 10. So does Pasami come in at 12 and Flute keeps a spot or does Pasami come in at 13? I actually think he, 12 might be the gig and Stewart goes, uh, which would mean Flute would stay because... Pattaya won't be back. Look, if O'Connor's gone, HIA, it means Bryce starts at 10. I think that's not a bad thing. I want, I want to see Jock back at 15, Jock Campbell. I, I really like Campbell at 15, and I think he adds to our running game, um, particularly if we've got centres such as Fluke and Stewart. McDermott backs a given, and I think that's a big one. Th- Thomas is raved about, and, you know, he showed a bit on the other night, but he also showed he's just not up to it. He, he, you know, he's probably played eight games of rugby against men. You know, he, he's a schoolboy a couple of years ago with COVID last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. He didn't play club. He he needs time to v- develop. And I would have gone Moses Sarovi ahead of them every day mm-hmm. of the week. Yep. And, and think Kalani should just go to club land for a while. Good player, great player. He's in the system. We haven't forgotten about him. But go play some club footy, mate, and, and, and develop your game there. So all those big guys will come back. But I think what is obvious about the Kiwis is you, you can't rotate, you can't rest, but you need some impact players. So, you know, Lucan back, um, uh, Harry Wilson will probably be gone again, but Saru Uru was fantastic. They're the big ones. Vunavalu will probably need to start, absolutely. And they're those, you know, we need those strike players and we need our yeah. guns. It's only four games to go now. We need all guns blazing now. And it's just, a, you know, it'll be the question whether Paisami's back in time and he, he will make a huge impact to that team. And do you start really... Tupo or do you bench him? Uh, I'd start Tupo, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's back to that grand final team or the strongest team possible every game. Yeah, for sure. Yep, 100% agreed. I mean, I was particularly disappointed with Angus Blythe's performance. Uh, he's been out of the team for about five weeks now. And I... I just really thought that his reintroduction into the starting 15 would be an opportunity for him to make a statement to get it back from Ryan Smith that he should be the starting lock alongside Lukan. But his performance just really, in my mind, lacked that physicality, lacked the intensity and lacked the accuracy that I was hoping he would be able to bring because he was pretty good at the start of the season Mm. and then he just fell out of favour. I don't know if you have any insights into that one, Reg. 
No, I don't. And it's been a question on, on many people's minds up here, you know, on the forums and on social media and so on, and there's no real answers. And, and um, I, I think you may be right, mate. I think it's just those little things he's not doing. His, his physicality's not enough. He missed a couple of clear-outs through inaccuracy on the weekend, and, and that's probably it. And even playing – so he's been playing Clubland for a few weeks, and, and even then he, he's not overly standing out. He's such a – you know, high potential play, and we need him to because you know, two metre tall locks, so athletic and rare to find. Particularly when you know Rodder and Hawkins head off elsewhere, uh, we need him playing at his best. And and you're right, he's just not there. And I wonder well, if that is because he's used to playing club rugby that you get to that. Uh, you have a few weeks in club rugby, and it's a hard thing. You're thrown into essentially a second final um, with such a short competition, and you need to be performing at your best. But you haven't been playing Ed Super Rugby for a while. It's a big step up in that between those two levels. Yeah, who knows? But at the same time, as a professional athlete, yeah. you know, playing for a contract, you'd like to think you'd be like, "Great, this is my chance. I'm going to yeah, take this." For sure. Who knows? Mitch and I got to head out to the G on Saturday. What night was it? Saturday Friday, night? I can't Friday remember. night. Friday night. I don't know. It's been a weekend. Um, on Friday night. And that was, the, I got to say it again, the SCG is the worst venue yeah. in Sydney to watch rugby at. Like it's it's just horrible in terms of, uh, it's not too bad to get to, but man, it just sucks. But the game itself, the game itself was incredibly entertaining to watch. Um, Mitch and I were seated pretty high up in the stands next to a big bunch of Hurricanes fans who were really good <laughs> blokes to have a chat with. Um, and the, I mean, the question I have, and Mitch, I'm going to throw it to you to start with, how did we score 48 points <laughs> and then lose the game? Like, wh- how does that even happen? Because we led in 64. I mean, <laughs> we were both teams this week oh, were playing okay, touch next rugby. Next question then. Let's move on. No, but, but but that's part of my answer. They Both teams <laughs> are playing touch rugby. It turned into uh, a game of whoever can get into the opposition 22 is going to come away with points. And the Waratahs just weren't able to get down into the Hurricanes 22 enough and to consecutively score points. And we were talking about it sort of in that 50-minute mark uh, in the second half, that the Waratahs just need to get two tries uh, up in conse- concession to get back towards the Hurricanes. What we we saw when they were able to get down to the twenty-two, they would come away with points, but they'd score a point, they'd kick, they'd score a try, kick back to the Hurricanes, who then score a try, and then the Hurricanes would score another one before the Tars could get back up and score again. So that was the reason that they the game ultimately got away from them was because they weren't able to apply that pressure and to get back down into the 22 and score those consecutive tries. Yeah, and look, that it just leads us to the next question of, well, how are the Waratahs going to go? Is this going to be another none from five? And if you look at the fixtures that they've got coming up, I think, yes, it is going to be none from five because we've got the Blues away in Auckland. We've got the Crusaders. That's the round three. I'm pretty sure all of round three is over in New Zealand, isn't it? No, they um, got rid of that idea. Or are we they? playing them? No, that's down in Wollongong. Yeah, yeah, it's down in Wollongong. And then we're playing the Highlanders away and then the Chiefs at home. I don't see us winning any of those matches. I feel like this was the only one that the Tars actually had the chance of winning. And we've gone, I'm not going to say we blew it, but we definitely uh, left a lot wanting on that field. And I guess what's, and I'll throw it to you here, Reg, because I mean, Mitch and I have already spoken about this at length. What is the hope for this TARS team moving forward for more weeks? I mean, Mitch and I have chatted. What do you, what would you hope to see from them to say, oh yeah, there's some success. There's some positive growth happening within that team. Gosh, mate, it, it's hard. And you read out that schedule and I think you're right. I, there's, there can't be too much hope 
there and, and um, <laughs> particularly, you know, I, I, I don't want to – sorry, guys, if you're looking for a lift, but that's it's no. you don't know where you got to get the win. No, and, we... and, and I'm just thinking of the spectators, you know, they're not going to draw many games for that last round, are they, if they're no. nine, or, uh, nine and zero. Um Look, it'll come back down to defence in the end. Like you said earlier, guys, it's defence is just such a mindset thing, and it's the sign of a of a, a team that's that's um, that's working well and just believing each other. And it's it was at the heart, you know, the two best performed teams this weekend, the Crusaders. Sorry, the, from an Australian perspective, the Brumbies and the Force. You know, have that great team mindset. You know, the Brumbies they live by it and always have. Where the Force are really building it. You know, obviously, and and the Queenslanders do have it. But this game they didn't for obvious reasons. They were either hungover or, um, you know, new to the team sort of thing. But that's what the Waratahs have got to find. So, you know, you hate to say it, but they've almost got to pick and stick. There's a couple, maybe a couple of players there they that that will just have to go through performance. But, you know. Jason Gilmore brought down last year's defensive coach, did some good things last year. He's now sort of co-interim assistant head coach with Chris Whitaker. Um, maybe he's just got to go, okay, defence is my baby. I'm going to turn this around and uh, back this team to, to score points. But our focus, lads, is let's, let's, let's stop them. They were just passive off the line. And that's just a, mate, that's 100%. just, yeah, yep. that was just a, that's just a, like you say, a mindset. That's a, that they weren't ready for that match between their ears. And, um, you know, you can score all the tries you like, but if you're not, the fence is where it's won. And that's, that's, that was massive, a glaring weakness in that side. So, Mitch, moving then into looking forward beyond 2021, um, I'm going to say, Mitch, you've got a magic wand and you get to put in place whatever changes you want at the Waratahs, okay? What changes are you going to be making to address all of the whinging that we've done so far across Super AU and now the first round of Trans-Tasman? Well, I think from going what what we've just said, it has to be putting in a, a defensive effort. Just get some plays there that can actually tackle. Because it was what we saw in this weekend that it was just simple one-on-one tackles that players were falling off. And up up against any Kiwi opposition, they're good enough to just run away with it. Uh, so we just need to have players who are able to make those one-up tackles. I'd love to see a backline of sort of Carlo Tizano's. That would just be phenomenal. So I guess that's what, that's what I would ask for, a backline <laughs> of Carlo Tizano's who are just able to smash blokes in the center and get the ball back. Yep. That's a big thing. I mean, we were chatting with um, with Nelson from the Fantasy Draft Rugby pod and he was crapping all over um, Newsom. Uh, Newsom on Twitter massively in a little chat that we've got going. And then Newsom was responsible for one of the tries early on in the game. And I was like, oh, get in. It was Newsom. Yes. See that step. He's great. And then like the next play down our end of the field, he's the one that misreads, bites in on yeah. somebody and it just pass outside and score. So it's just crap horrible reads on defense not trusting the man inside um there's just a lot going wrong there but if for me if it was a magic wand um it's to actually get a couple of really high quality signings at lock Mm. uh i reckon we need a lock i think we need a big back rower um that is a bit more of a ball carrier than Lockie swinton is um i don't think we'll Harris is there yet. Give him another season or two and he'll be developing, but he's not, doesn't 
have that physicality yet. And for all of the attacking nows of Mark Nwanganitawase, he cannot defend to save his life. Um, so I think we need another winger as well, if only to take Newsom off. Um, Nwanganitawase on the wing and just put somebody on at number 11 or something. We just need a couple, like the force have done, a couple of international class players to come and guide this young squad through because they're just lacking that guidance. They're lacking that maturity and that almost professional intensity of being able to back up week after week without massive dips or spikes in form. Reg, am I on on path? Yeah, I think so. I think I'll tell you what, I'll tell you a player that you've missed this year who would have solved a lot of this. Um, Carmichael Hunt. Yes. Uh, you know, just, it, it was such a, and he was playing club rugby up here. Now it looks like he's going to go to the Broncos, but you know, he's just everything you want. Just that he's a professional, a seasoned veteran, a great defender, a great communicator, a great leader. Um, he would have added so much. Mate, you've got some hope there. Uh, look, I'm a massive fan of Marky Mark on the wing. I, I won't use the guy say it so well, but you're right. He's got some, <laughs> He's one of those freak players, but he's, geez, he's got some some challenges there around contact and defence. But, you know, don't forget you've got Hooper back next year and Ned Hannigan. And despite the, all the jokes people make about Ned, he's great for the Waratahs. War a big lock is what you need. You've got that, also that, um, who's the, the the guy that signed by Japan, who's that big ball playing number eight? The, um, uh, yeah. Warren um, yeah. Um, so he'll fit that. But, mate, if they, it's a pity they couldn't get Isaac Rodder. Uh, I think he would have been ideal if they can, you know, Skelton's obviously playing well, but I, I don't think he's, you, you need a bully who is going to set the standards, like a Carmichael Hunt of the pack. And maybe that's a Rory Arnold or, or, or his brother sort of thing, you know, Rory ideally, or an Adam Coleman, you know, I, I don't Bring know Jack's how. Bring like, Potgeeter back. Yeah, that's what you need, just a bully, you know, <laughs> someone that they're all going to look up to and go, this guy told me to do it, I'm going to do it. Um, I don't know who that player is, but if we can find one somewhere. That would be pretty fantastic. I mean, I think what we might do is just move on. Otherwise, we'll just be yes. thinking about the Warriors for the next 30 minutes. Uh, now, Reg, looking at the Brumbies match against the Crusaders, I wonder if you were a bit envious insofar as the, the Brumbies just simply didn't seem as hungover as the Reds were. Is, is that accurate? Or was there something else that led to their really strong performance against the Crusaders? Look, a, a couple of things. And let's, let's uh, the Crusaders obviously won too. They weren't hungover, but I guess the Crusaders win time titles for breakfast over there whereas the reds it was a uh, you know it's it's in between decades it's a generational thing so we we party quite hard for that <laughs> as for the brumbies look i it doesn't surprise me and i i, I don't, wouldn't surprise me if they finished top of the aussie teams in this putting aside the first round results because they play a game that will challenge the 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 kiwis more the rebels the the Reds are great, but they were pretty up and down this season, weren't they? And even their last yeah. few rounds, I mean, we beat the Brumbies three times, but literally in the 80th minute or the 79th minute for most of those games um, and started poorly in probably all three games or, or let the Brumbies get away. You know, we lost to the force by not playing well. And even in some of our games, the Waratahs' first game, we're up and down, but we've had the strike power to come back. Now, you can't let a New Zealand team dominate yeah you, you give any new zealand team any chance um and they'll they'll punish you for those mistakes and the reds are going to have to be very wary of that whereas the brumbies just play great clinical footy they only lost to the reds i think that's right in the season through you know those freak plays late I, i'm not surprised at this result by any means and, and and even the you know if they had nick white playing 
You know, if they had Caden Neville playing, James Slipper, any of these guys, it might have been enough to get them them over the line. And I, I thought it was a, a fantastic performance by the Brumbies. And I, I think it's they're just the team that will challenge um, because they play clinical. They don't make mistakes. Um, and they they punish teams. You know, the 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 tries from the 22 stat we saw during that game is just they know how to score points. And 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 um, it was great to see Tom Banks score that amazing try because if there's something he's back scoring tries this year he has yeah. sort of slowed down previously so he's a weapon out there I love their centers Simone probably had his best game Ikitao still doing it um yeah Carter back on the wing they've got strike players Lalesio is 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 playing fantastic footy and and you know I, I as much as it pains me to say it they were very very good and probably the the best performing team of the round and I'm and I I, I had a hunch it was in them so I'm I'm it's a shame they lost, but they they were super impressive. The return of Solomon Carter was really impressive for me. The physicality he brought in place of Andy Muirhead, like I rate Andy Muirhead very, very highly, uh, but Carter just offers something that is very different. And I think that that's really beneficial. When you look at their back line, there aren't any particularly big bodies in there. So mm. both Simone and Ikatao, Banks, um, and right, none of them are massive, massive bodies. So to just have a player like him who is a point of difference that they can use for strike plays, they can use as a decoy runner on other plays, like he's he brings a versatility to their back line, I think is really beneficial. And I wonder if Muirhead's going to find it easy to crack back into the starting 15 uh, on his return from injury. Mitch, any thoughts about that game before we move on? Yeah, I, I thought the Brumbies were a bit hard done by with that penalty at the line out. Oh, <laughs> that, you know, there, there was some, I'll talk about it just briefly, but there were some interesting uh, refereeing decisions across mm. this whole round, yep. um, particularly around the, the scrums. Mm. I don't know why, because it wasn't, it wasn't just particularly the New Zealand refs that were punishing the Australian teams. It seemed to be across all rounds with Australian and New Zealand refs that for whatever reason, they seemed to go into the games thinking that the Australian teams were less dominant. And so they were rewarding the Kiwi sides more than they were rewarding the Australian teams across the board. There was a lot of movement on the scrums for all, most of the games before the ball was put in. And um, the referees were allowing the, were waiting a very long time to call set, which we weren't, it was just a completely different approach to what they were doing in Super Rugby AU, where they would call set very quickly and get the ball in. There was a lot of instability there. Interesting, some of those calls potentially could have seen different outcomes, but I think this weekend, we hopefully that will even out a little bit. And now the Australian teams kind of know what level they're going up against. So hopefully we can see some improved results in, in round two. Well, talking about improved results, that's definitely not what we saw from the Rebels. I think (laughs) I'm pretty sure we can confidently say it was the worst performance of any team over the weekend. Uh, They were just dire and dismal in so many aspects of their play. But Mitch, were you expecting this result? And what do you think is going on south of the border? Well, short answer is no, I wasn't expecting this result at all because I picked the Rebels to win this one. <laughs> I, I thought if there was going to be a team that was going to cause an upset, it was going to be either the Rebels or the Force. The Force got close. The Rebels got nowhere near it. And I think this game for me was summed up by Matt Tamua. And I don't want to blame him completely, but he was just struggling this game to exit well from their 22. And whenever they got the ball in their 22, they weren't able to get it much meters or get out cleanly and the blues just camped them down there. And then from the ensuing lineouts that weren't kicked out very effectively, they'd score points off it. So the rebels ended up 
just sort of getting stuck there, camped in their own 22 for the majority of the game. And then only when they, the few times that they were able to actually get up the other end um, of the opposite side in the Blues 22, they just never seemed to be sort of on the same page. They seemed very excited to try and go for the try. They were dropping balls. They were taking runs that they probably didn't need to. They just needed to slow down and and calm things down. And it just, it was a very different uh, performance from the Rebels than we've seen in Super Rugby AU. We saw that they were able to, particularly sort of round one and two of Super Rugby AU, they were able to stick with the Brumbies and the Reds, apply scoreboard pressure and just really hang in there. And they only lost those first two rounds by a point or two. That's what I was kind of expecting from them in in this trans-Tasman competition, but we just didn't see that at all. They were ineffectual in most areas of the game. Yeah, and I mean, I was, I'm, I'm slightly understanding on some of the difficulties that Matty Tamu was having because the Rebels scrum got absolutely monstered. Uh, I am not a fan of having Rob Liotta playing at lock. I think he's a bit too lightweight to be a quality lock. Um, their scrum was just getting monstered on their own ball uh, and even on the Blues ball too. It's just even when they were able to get the ball out, it was messy a couple of times. Um, Joe Powell got caught uh, just picking a ball up, even though they were able to retain possession. I think that they're really missing both the combination of Hodge and Dane Haler-Petty Petty, because basically who else is there that takes on the kicking duties? Like nobody really. Powell isn't a renowned box kicker. It's one of the areas of his game as a scrum half that he really needs to work on. Um, Pincus is isn't a good kicker. Who else was on the wing? You got Corabetti, who is one of the worst kicking wingers in the game. Um, and then who was on the other wing? Uh, Frank Lamani. Frank Lamani. Yes. Yeah, so when we combine with those guys, none of them are renowned kickers and so it was just all down to Matty Tamua and so the Blues just knew if they just rush up on him he's going to have to rush his kicks and Matty Tamua has two types of kicks he has the one where he's really settled he can go motion effectively and he gets good purchase and good meters on it but when he's pressured he goes into this kind of pop gun little jab at the ball and it's really ineffectual and hardly gets any meters. And so when he's got all this pressure coming on, he's got to do the more inefficient of the two kicks or ineffective of the two kicks. And it just meant that pressure and pressure and pressure was applied. So if you look at some of the key stats from the game, the Blues had 583 run meters compared to 208. That is just absolutely incredible. Uh, territory was 60 to 40, Blues to the Rebels. Possession, 55 to 45. You look at clean break, 10 to 5. Defenders beaten, 28 to 13. Offloads, 12 to 3. This was just complete and utter dominance from the Blues, and all credit has to go towards them. Um, Reg, any quick thoughts on this match before we move on and try and burn it from our memories? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple of quick ones, and both related to what you've said. Um, the, the back, the front, sorry, the pack was lightweight. A couple of back rowers in at lock and the back row being lightweight back row. So missing very much um, uh, Trevor Jose, a big pone up front and Izzy Nicerani. So that's, you know, that's three pretty muscular guys they missed out on who also provide a bit of go forward for them. Um, like all teams, Australia, we've they struggled with, with their exits, as you said, Matty Tamur being the only option. I think their only solution is to bring Carter Gordon in for, Gordon in for the rest of the season. Smashed by 50 points. No one's got any expectations for them. Carter Gordon, who's a, a young Queenslander who I've seen play a fair bit of footy, has probably got one of the best kicking games in Australia. 
um, at least at the level I've seen. It's now to give him the chance to show that at super rugby level in tough conditions. Matty Tamura switches to 12, mm-hmm. Magnate to 13. I think that's a pretty sound opportunity for him because Gordon's, you know, could well be the man to lead him there next year. He just now's the time because we don't have the NRC to give him that <laughs> to give him that sort of time on the field. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think it'll be a, a good chance for him. I rated him when he came on on the weekend. I thought he was actually one of the best players for mm. the Rebels in what was an incredibly dire match. And I'd remembered you across many Gaga pods really <laughs> talking up Carter Gordon. Uh, so I was keeping an eye on him because I'm pretty sure this was his first run for the season. No, or did I he get he a couple had, of minutes he, in the previous yeah. week? Yeah, I think he, he came on for one of the earlier Oz games. Yeah, okay. Well, I was really impressed with him, so maybe that could be a good call. And it does suit the Wallabies better if you're looking to have Tamura yep. as an option at 12. Yep. So it actually works out on many fronts. And considering the fact that the Wallabies coaches are having a pretty strong say in what's mm. going on down at the Rebels at the moment because of the changes there, yep. I wonder if we may well see that happen in the future. But we do need to keep on going, so let's move to the force match. And... I'll just quickly put it out there. Obviously, the majority of fans weren't able to watch large parts of this game because of the streaming issues. This is, in my mind, the one big X on the Stan Sports coverage so far in both AU and Aotearoa and Trans-Tasman. It's the first time I've had a major issue. Uh, What I'm not too impressed with at this point is the fact that there hasn't already been a statement from Stan Sport upon apologizing about it Uh, maybe that's going to come out first thing tomorrow morning once people are back in the office Uh, but I am somewhat sympathetic towards this tech issues do happen nines had a massive issue with their studio a few weeks back that's still hampering the stuff that they're doing Um, to the people who are saying they're tearing up or unsubscribing from Stan grow up (laughs) Um, grow up get over it if it happens again yeah sure maybe but how about you just don't throw the dummy and actually just have a bit of patience because they have been fantastic in the other areas of their coverage Mitch anything you want to very quickly say about that before we get to the game I mean that it, it happens right there's technical difficulties what can they do to fix it if there's something wrong so even if it happens again, I don't think that's warrant enough to, to cancel your subscription. Uh, the game wasn't... the There's a few people saying that they weren't able to watch a lot of the Rebels and Blues game, but that game was on Channel 9 and I watched that without any issues. So just switch on to free to air and you can watch that game. Uh, I, I expect this is what is going to happen with streaming platforms they have issues sometimes we don't know what the issue is behind it maybe Channel 9 was attacked again who knows but yeah, I think people need to be a little bit more understanding and to say that you're going to throw cancel your subscription because it's not good enough. Well, you know, Fox <laughs> Sports went down a few times as well. KO is always crashing frame rates, having issues all the time. So that's not a perfect platform either. All right. So actually moving to the game now, I personally think that the Force are the most improved side in Super Rugby AU. They're, they're progressing across the course of the game has been really, really impressive. Um, I was very critical of a lot of the chopping and changing they had with their 23 across the first four weeks of the competition, but it seems that they've mostly settled on a good combination, although I wasn't too keen on seeing McIntyre come back into the starting team, although his early injury meant that Miotti did come on. Uh, Reg, what do you, how, how did you view this match? Do you think the force deserved to come away with a win? 
Uh, look, it's hard, isn't it? They played a lot of the game with a numerical advantage because of the, the couple of cards. What was it, a couple of yellows and a red there, and they they had that advantage. And and so you know they 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 can't feel like they lost. You know it, it was unfair. The result that they should have won that. You know, they, they, they should have won themselves. They can only be frustrated at themselves. It was a great performance by them, you know, and again, built on a very good defensive defensive um, format. Like you say, that, that probably surprised me the most out of anyone this year and um, that they're becoming a finalist in the AU competition is, is a credit to that and a representation of that. And and what a, a first-round performance uh, uh, we saw here, I thought, they were they were sensational, and again, you know, the great maturity of those those experienced heads, um, and, and great to see guys like Kyle Goodwin performing, and I love Ian Pryor's impact off the bench, and Fergus Lee Warren, and all these sorts of guys. You know, again, the challenge for them, you talk about cohesion, is how many of those guys they lose next year. But that's that's next year's issue. That if you focus on this competition, they they're doing well at this stage, and that was a, a really good performance. But I can tell they'll be they'll be disappointed with the loss. Mitch, moving forward to the rest of the season, they have the Highlanders at home next week, then the Canes, Crusaders and Blues away. Do you think that this next match is the only realistic opportunity they have to get a win? I think they'll be hard to beat at home next week. I think that they'll probably go over there and and push maybe the Chiefs. Oh, so they've just played Canes. the Chiefs. So who, who was the last one? Canes. Canes yeah, well, was we, the we saw, one um, Blues was the last one. Yeah, so we saw the performance the Canes put up against the Waratahs, if they're going to have that um, lapse defense that they did for the rest of the competition, then I think the force can, can put it to them. Um, that would probably be the only game I could see them realistically going over to New Zealand and, and winning. But um, yeah, all credit to them. I think this weekend against the Highlanders, they've got a real good chance and next week going over there against them. Um, one thing I will say about the force, and we were talking about it uh, previously in this season, that they were chopping and changing so much. I have the kind of view that the force are probably the only Australian team that's had any sort of thought to this trans-Tasman competition mm. being played after Super Rugby AU. We spoke to all the uh, representative of all the Super Rugby sides before Super Rugby AU when we asked them, are you looking at Super Rugby uh, Artero? Are you planning for the trans-Tasman comp after Super Rugby AU and everyone said no we're just focusing on what we're doing now and we're going to sort of look at the trans-Tasman comp when we get to it and I think that goes to show why we've just gone 5-0 against in that first round the Super Rugby the Australian Super Rugby sides weren't preparing themselves for what they were coming up against they weren't sort of testing combinations and seeing who will be good up against a, a higher level of competition against the Kiwis maybe that's the reason that the force were doing that and they have been so competitive. So big props to them. I think that was a big reason as to why they actually came out firing against the, the Chiefs this week. All right. Was a 5-0 whitewash a fair result for the Australian teams? I mean, the bookies had it listed prior to the beginning of the round and a lot of Aussie commentators are saying, oh, no, that's unfair. Bookies have no idea what they're talking about. Turns out they were right. Uh, so do you... You think that was fair, Reg? I mean, two of the games were decided by very small margins. Yeah, look, I, I don't think it was fair. I think you're right. And and both the uh, Force and the Brumbies with a last-minute kick could have turned those results the other way. And, uh, you know, the Waratahs, for what they were, there was they were they had their moments in that match. And I think the Reds played really well for the first half hour, at least. So, look, <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not disheartened. It's first round. I think it's it's actually, look, I guess we'll see how they bounce back 
I, I think it's not such a bad thing for the Australian teams. They nice little wake up call. Let's hope they have fully woken up, ready for the next week. Yeah. So, how important is it from a in a broader sense then that we actually start getting some wins on the board against Kiwi teams? Because there was a huge amount of hype and good feeling, positive coming out of Super Rugby AU. But now, now after just getting pumped 5-0, if that happens two weeks in a row, that narrative is going to change and Christy Doran is going to have a field day running for Fox Sports. <laughs> uh, it, it's crucial. We have to win games this week. And I tell you who's under the most pressure, pressure is Brad Thorne and the Reds because he obviously played his hand by resting a few players which would indicate that he's completely focused on the Crusaders on Saturday. And, and that should be a big game. I know there's a lot of celebrations going on for that being kind of like the 10-year reunion of, of 2011. A lot of those players will be at the game um, in a special box. Um, Quaid and Will, I think, should be just out of quarantine. So they'll be there. And I know Kevy Horwell's back and, and the coaches are getting together. Not you and I don't believe um, a lot of the, the, a lot of the staff. I was lucky enough to be working there at the time. We're having our own reunion, but I just think generally Crusaders are the most popular team, uh, Kiwi team in Queensland, probably most of Australia. So there, there'll be another good crowd there. Be hope 30,000 30, plus. But Thorns put us all these eggs in this basket. So the Reds are under a lot of pressure to win this weekend, and and I think um, hopefully there'll be one win. But we'd be looking for a, a, at least one, maybe two more. Well, with so much rugby on over the weekend, we can't go into depth for every game. So, gentlemen, thank you for the quick review of each of those matches. And we might jump into our locker room segment now to hear from the fans. Let's go. All right, we enter the locker room now where we answer your dying questions. So the first question we got comes to us from Tony Santamaria, and he asks, we got to give it a week or so for an adjustment period. New Zealand are playing dominant style rugby in both attack and defense. We are still using the old Nathan Gray system of up and slide, giving a meter or two. I think it's a crap system, but hey, what do I know? So I guess this is less of a question and more of a statement. Anything you wanted to say about this one, Ando or Reg? Uh, I'll jump in first uh, and then Reg can say his piece if he wants to as well. I just think that the New Zealanders, as, as we're aware, if you watch any of Aotearoa, they play at a level of intensity, which is just a bit faster and higher than what we saw in the AU competition. And the teams, the Aussie teams just weren't able to match that defensively. And so I think that they just got fatigued and ended up dropping off players and not making the dominant tackles that I'd be hoping for. And I think that they're not going to be as surprised by it in week two. So there will be an adjustment of tactics. I'm hoping maybe a, a stronger rushed umbrella defense that is going to try and cut down the width with the, that New Zealand teams are playing with. That could be one way of trying to counter it. But I think that the first round definitely definitely was just a bit of a shock to the system and I'm hoping for a bounce back. What about you, Ridge? Yeah, I, I agree. I think I assume Tony's speaking specifically about the Waratahs referring to Nathan Gray there. <laughs> and we talked about it earlier. They've got to be a lot more off the line, a lot more physical presence. But I think all teams need to really focus on that. The work at the ruck as well. Kiwis are experts in that scenario. We need to be a lot more accurate. Definitely let the Reds down. So that's something they've got to improve on. Awesome. Well, the next, this is another comment. This one comes from John Cooper. And he says, more of a, co- a comment for discussion than a question. This is his proposed comp setup. So Super Rugby Pacific, the five Aussie and Kiwi teams, plus Fiji and Polynesian team, home and away. Then incoming test, European team, Fiji national team, etc. Then rugby championship. While tests are being played between Kiwi teams, go on playing their MPC comp, Rugby Australia with non-test players playing an NRC light comp, Brisbane, Sydney, Canberra, Melbourne, Perth with the Drua and maybe the Island team who aren't playing a test. 
Yeah, that sounds pretty good for me, mate. Um, I like the idea of there still being rugby on during the international window um, because that only selects a very limited number of players. And so having the others actually meaningfully engage in that time would be really beneficial. Any thoughts on that one, Reg? Yep, we need more pro rugby for our next tier players. So I'm all for that. I, I like Super Rugby AU, but I'd, you know, I'd love the inclusion of a Fiji and Polynesian team. Yeah, awesome. I think so too. I think next year with the Fijian and Drua coming in and the uh, Moana Pacifica, it's going to be awesome to see just both get exposure to those players into Super Rugby, but it's also going to add a completely different flavor to the competition and bring in some more Pacific Islanders, which would be awesome. Next question comes from Jason Sherman, and he asks, given the results we've seen, can we expect Stan to insist we don't do Super Rugby Trans-Tasman or at least a very minor version of it? I can't see nine Stan or the Australian public accepting these kind of results. Thus, the broadcaster just won't let Super Rugby AU not be a thing. Ando. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I mean, it's my preferred model anyway. I'd love to see Super Rugby AU remain, and then have then have a comp come in afterwards, which is uh, the Trans Tasman. Um, I think that that is just the best. Like we said before, it's the the idea of having an Australian team winning something every single year has just become such a fantasy that it's been so enjoyable for 2021 and. I think that that needs to remain. It gives players experience in high-intensity situations. It gives the Australian rugby uh, supporters something to cheer about and to get really pumped up. But it still gives us the opportunity to play against the best teams in New Zealand. So I think that the combination, that like the, the separate competitions would be the best in my mind. Reg? I, I love the competitions, as I said before. Can we expect Stan to insist we don't do Super Rugby on the basis of the results last weekend? No. Stan are not going to make the results on one weekend of footy. I think they'll <laughs> they'll give it the full tournament. And even if they did, you know, there is two results, like we said, that went down to the last minute. I think Stan would be stoked in those games um, and, and and all the tries scored. Good luck fitting the, the highlights of that Waratahs-Hurricanes game into a 20-minute snapshot. They were, um, I think they'd be pretty happy with the results. The Rebels, the, the one big issue. Yeah, I can see where Jason's coming from in the the thought that if we're having games like the Rebels every single week in yeah. Super Rugby Trans-Tasman, that people are just going to get bored and switch off. Now, if that is maybe a thing that we look after a year or two of doing Super Rugby Trans-Tasman where we're just not being competitive, maybe we need to shift to a model where maybe the top two teams who play in the Super Rugby AU final then go into some kind of round-robin system between the top two teams from Aotearoa, then maybe Japan, or make something different that's not necessarily the weaker Australian teams going up against the Crusaders because that's probably where it's going to start to get boring. Um, but yeah, for the, for the meantime, I still think that Australians are going to be competitive in the next year or two. And unless we go through this whole competition without getting a single win for an Australian team, which I really don't see happening, um, that would be the only time that, net, that Stan or Nine would go, well, we've got no value in this because we're not getting any return. No one's going to watch it, but we'll see what happens. Another comment from Brian Knight. Enjoyed the force game. Was great to watch live, but I think going to be a tough comp for any of our sides to get more than one win. And how crap is rugby at the SCG? (laughs) (laughs) Endo? Uh, mate, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. It was a rubbish viewing experience being there. Uh, it also sucks that you can't just move after the game. You can't move around the ground because of the different tiers and the way that it's cut off. Yeah. And so we didn't get to speak to any of the players except for Lockie Swinton who'd come over to speak to his family who were on the far side of the field. All the other players were at the members stand, like that, that old stand at the SCG. And like the biggest side of the crowd was on the opposite 
part of the field and hardly any players came over. I actually have a picture on my phone of all of the Canes players coming over because there was about oh, 200 Canes fans that were waiting to chat with them after the game. And like three Waratahs players came over. Mm. Um, so it's, it was just a bad experience being like, it was a bad experience from a stadium point of view. Um, although I actually kind of enjoyed the game itself. Even being there, trying to talk to the fans, the security guards multiple times came up to us and told us to leave. And oh. then we weren't allowed to stand there and talk to the players. So we kind of just gave them the cold shoulder. Because, because it waiting. wasn't an allocated seat. Yeah, it was like oh, it was that that security guard were, was so frustrating. They were trying to make the experience even more unenjoyable. Uh, anything you wanted to say around this one, Reg? Uh, never been to the SCG, but I can't <laughs> imagine it being very, very good. Won't be there for rugby anytime soon. That's for no. sure. <laughs> this next one comes to us from Mick Ryan, and he asks, "I'm happy to put an asterisk next to this round, but for but for two after the siren kicks, we could have one. We could have a win. Had a win, draw, or three loss record not great or something to be proud of but at least it shows we didn't roll over except for the rebels that was an embarrassment (laughs) (laughs) yes i think that's a fairly fair summation of the weekend uh next one comes from nick potter and this is the last question or comment we've got it was good to see that the players have shown development under the super rugby au system alessio and valentini for me are far better players against kiwi competition a year on any thoughts yeah. around this, guys? Yeah, I completely agree with that one. Um, I actually, look, I know that I have a man crush or love affair, which is unrequited with um, Ryan Lonergan, but I was actually super impressed with him in his start for the Brumbies as well. I thought were. his, no, but genuinely, not just because <laughs> I'm a fanboy. Um, I actually thought his delivery and his service was rapid. Um, he was accurate as well. He was getting to the rucks really quickly and distributing well and little crabbing from the side, but as he was just getting there and delivering quickly. I really, really liked it. But also like, like uh, Nick said, you had Lolasio and Valentini who were also fantastic. I'm really happy with the progress of some of the players, some of the younger players across both the Reds, across um, the Brumbies, but also you look at some of the people like Tizano and Bell, and they have developed really well for the Waratahs too. So I think that Super Rugby AU is beneficial. Um, a couple of our teams just have systemic problems, which are screwing them up at the moment, but that's not the competition's fault. That's the organization's fault. Reg, any thoughts on those? Yeah, yeah. Look, exactly what you say, and, and, and uh, let's not judge players too early, but Valentini, I was thrilled with. I've been a doubter. He's proved me somewhat wrong in AU. He's now got to step up in the Trans-Tasman, and despite a couple of handling errors, he bounced back and was a, a, a dominant force, and, and we did that in the Wallabies. So thrilled to see him step up. I want to see more of it. Yeah, I was just impressed with this round in, in general that you look at the, the results and it doesn't look great from the outset, but I think we were a lot closer than yep. the scores generally say. So I was talking to a few people today and they said, oh, look, we didn't win a, a single game of rugby this weekend. And these were league fans um, granted, but I said, no, we were we were close. Like two, two of those um, games came down to the final kick. And I think some of those players like Valentini and Alessio definitely stood up against Kiwi opposition. Um, need to give a good, big shout out to a friend of the pod as well, Harry Johnson Holmes, who scored two tries on Friday mm. night and, and now is the highest scoring prop for the Waratahs ever. So we're, we're getting points like that against a Kiwi opposition. That's just great to see. So um, there's also been some comments in social media from New Zealand fans saying that, 
they they can sense that the gap between Australia and New Zealand is definitely shrinking, um, and they were impressed with the performance from some of the sides. Not all of the sides, obviously, but some of the sides. So I think overall yep. we've got to be optimistic around coming into round two. Hey, guys, I might put this in a tweet um, for you guys to answer next week, but if you could come up with the top five list of try-scoring props for the Waratahs, I'd, I'd love to see it. <laughs> we'll do some research. We'll Thank do some you. research for Thank you, mate. You. That's all good. Well, why don't we move into our quick preview and picks for round two? We won't go into much depth in the previewing of the games themselves because we've been we've been nattering on for a while. Uh, so the first match of round two is going to be the Hurricanes versus the Melbourne Rebels in Wellington on Friday at five pm. Uh, I will throw it across to Reg as our guest. Who do you think is going to win and by how much? Um, Hurricanes, obviously, defence needs to be fixed after letting all those points in against the Waratahs, um, but they are replaying the Rebels, so the Hurricanes by 30. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Mitch? Yeah, uh, very similar to Reg, I guess. The the Hurricanes don't have great defence, but in saying that, the Rebels are probably the team this year out of both competitions who have struggled to score points in general. So I don't see them putting a lot of points on at all. Um, And But their defense might be a little bit better than um, the Waratahs this week. So I'm going to go with the Hurricanes, but I'll say 10. Oh, you bastard. I was going to say that. <laughs> um, you have to go for 15 now. Yeah, okay, I'll go 15. Hurricanes by 15. Um, I think, and just I'll say that the Force have a worse attacking record than the Rebels, I reckon, uh, or at least inability to actually break a line. But that's okay. And now moving on to that point, Western Force versus the Highlanders. HBF Park, Perth, 7.45 on Friday. Uh, Reg, again, you first. Yeah, let's go force by three. Force by three. Mitch. No further comment. Yeah, I'm liking the I'm liking the look <laughs> of that. I think the the force at home are hard to beat this year. So I'm going to go force as well. It, it shot me myself in the foot last this week going for them. But let's see if we can get a, a win out of round two. Force by I'll go five. Five. Okay, I am going to go Highlanders by about ten. I just. I'm just going to back the Kiwi teams unless it's the <laughs> Brumbies or the Reds in my mind. Yeah, mate, I'm trying to head. I want, I genuinely want the force to win that game. I honestly do. And I think there are a chance of it, but I don't know. It no, screwed me com- over last you're week. You're completely so doing the right thing. Zealand teams. <laughs> All right. Blues versus the Waratahs, Eden Park, Auckland, Saturday, 2.35 PM. Uh, Reg. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think the Blues will win this. Let's say by twelve. Yeah, I That's can't kind. see the Waratahs. Okay. I can't see the Waratahs getting up against the Blues, particularly at home. Eden Park, one of the hardest uh, places to win in the, in world rugby. So Blues, I'm going to say by ten. Blues by ten. Uh, yeah, Blues by eighteen for me. Eighteen. Um, well, I mean, come on, we shipped sixty eight points or sixty <laughs> something points. Like I'm not. We scored forty eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sure okay um and how much should we still lose by like 19 or 20 or something yeah um really okay chiefs versus the brumby saturday at hamilton 505 p.m reg uh i gotta tip the brumbies uh a win away from home it, it'll be tough but I, I think they'll do it let's say by by six yeah that's a good call mitch uh, I'm going to go with Chiefs on this one. Um, I think the Brumbies are going to struggle backing up from last week and particularly this third week after the final, unless they get some of their key players back. But I'm going to say Chiefs by three. 
Chiefs by three. I'm actually going to go Brumbies by about 10. Um, the Chiefs have a lot of travel that they're doing coming back from Perth, um, and they haven't had to travel so far this year, apart from going out to Perth. So I just wonder if that's going to have a little bit of an impact on them. Plus, the Brumbies are a quality side who I think can bounce back after that narrow loss. Um, so that's why I'm going for the Brumbies. Now, Reds versus Satyrs. Reds, this is a juicy one, and you are welcome to explain your pick on this one. Yeah, okay. Well, obviously, I have to um, be... Yeah, this is where I've really got to test the head versus heart thing. It will be a tough game. Crusaders deserve favourites. Um, Reds, that much will depend on whether they get those key strike players back, most specific, particularly Pasami. I think it'll be tight and it'll be tough. So I'll say Reds by 45. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, can you imagine and I've written it down as well mate so it's on the record Um, (laughs) Mitch I'd love to be able to make this call on Wednesday (laughs) once I know what the teams are being played and if Nick Berry's refing the Reds again Uh, but I'm going to go with my head here and go Crusaders just because I think they're such a a class outfit it's going to be tight though so I'm going to go Crusaders by five Dude, stop doing that. That's genuinely what I was about to say. Well, then maybe you should go first. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Crusaders by 10. Except the thing is, I think that if Paisami is back, that turns into a Reds by five win. Um, I think if Paisami is in a team, the Reds win. And Nick Berry. Yeah, well, Nick Berry does give wins to the Reds. So you've got a good point there. But, hey, we make our calls on a Sunday night because we're brave or foolhardy, one of the two. So that brings us to the end of the pod. Thank you for you dear listeners who have reached this point. But even more to the point, thank you so much to Rugby Reg for coming on board and joining us with this pod. It has been an absolute pleasure having you, mate. Uh, and, uh, Mitch, thank you, guys. Really enjoyed it. Great way to spend a Sunday night. and It got me excited again for next week's rugby. Awesome. Awesome. That's what we love to hear. (laughs) How good. Well, I'm glad I could do that. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next weekend. Bye. Bye.